What's going on? Welcome into the Thursday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, joined by Jim Knopper of Pelicans.com. We continue our draft preview this week as we're getting closer and closer to November 18th, two weeks away, actually. And uh, we will uh, focus today on the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks. We'll start with the Cleveland Cavaliers in pick number five as we're joined by Chris Fedor, uh, who covers the Cavs in the NBA for Cleveland.com in the play dealer. Chris, how are you? Daniel, Jim, I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm good. It's hard to believe, Chris, that we're two weeks away, basically, from the NBA draft after, you know, everything that's going on. We might have a season here in a month and a half. Um, how crazy has it been for you covering this team and just covering kind of how all, all these things have played out so far? It's interesting. I always tell people that I feel like it's moving so fast and so slow all at the same time, if that even makes any sense at all. Um, you know, my offseason started in March, and it's been a long, long road. But now that it seems like there's actually the draft on the horizon, now it's going so, so quick. And you're trying to get all of the information that you can about all of these prospects, about the direction that some of the teams in front of the Cavs are going to go in, about the direction that the Cavs are going to go in themselves. So um, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the draft in the offseason is going to be, because I think it's going to be madness. Well, let's start with with the with the Cavs and what they might do at pick number five. You don't have to get into a specific player, but where they might go, whether it's position. You know, there's the age-old debate whether it's best available or position. With the Cavs' current situation with sort of a rebuild, where do you think they go in that route for pick number five? So general manager Kobe Altman said um, recently with us on a Zoom call that they were going to go best available player. And, and I think – the, the way that their roster is set up and, and how early they are into the rebuild, I buy that to a point because I think there's a caveat attached to this. Um, I, I think there's always a caveat of best player available at a position of need or at a position that you value greatly. So I think that comes into play when it comes to the Cavs. Um, I think there's only one scenario in which they would actually take a guard after drafting Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. in back-to-back years. And that's if LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards were to somehow fall to them at number five. Other than that, I think it's going to be a wing or a big guy. Um, And I think there is a cluster of about five or six guys that kind of fit that. And before I get into Jim, that kind of brings up my my next question is, uh, where do you feel that if there's a gap between, you know, everyone talks about the top three potentially with Ball, uh, Weissman and Anthony Edwards, and then you have four through 10. Do you feel like there is a huge gap between those three and maybe picks four through 10? Or do you see a lot of guys clumped together that all of them can make the same amount of impact on these teams? The way that I understand it, and it's hard for me to make this kind of evaluation. So I try and talk to as many smart people as I possibly can that have seen these guys for so many years. I mean, I remember talking to members of the Cavs front office going back to November about LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and some of these other guys. And think about that. Now it's November of the next year. So that's how long they've been doing this. That's how much work they've done on this particular class. That's how much film they've watched and how much intel they've tried to gather over the last year plus. So the smart people that I talk to about this particular draft do see a gap. Uh, They see a tier one of Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, and then a tier two that I think varies from team to team. 
But the sense that I get is it's a cluster of about six, seven, maybe eight guys if you want to throw Patrick Williams of Florida State in there because as one executive told me yesterday, he is the fastest riser in this draft. Um, so I do think there is a drop-off, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see what that means for movement in the first three picks. Chris, if we could kind of peel back and go a little bigger picture with the Cavs in general, I think one of the most interesting things about Cleveland is, you, is this is kind of deja vu where you're going through a rebuild, obviously, after a couple of years after LeBron James left. I was wondering, what is the what do you think is the patience level of the fan base? For example, I've been traveling there for the last seven, seven or seasons or so, and it seemed like even before LeBron returned, the fan support is really is very good. It seems like they draw really well. So how do you feel like the fan base in, in, in general kind of feels as, as far as their patience to go through this process again? Guys, I think there's everybody um, that, that deals with a LeBron James-led team eventually has a recognition of a price that you have to pay for greatness. And that means you make win-now moves that are going to cost you in the future, but who cares because you look up and you see banners. And I think that's where the fans are, the majority of the fans are right now when it comes to the Cavs. They, they recognize that this is now year three of a post-LeBron era. Um, and, and this team from the very beginning and this regime from the very beginning didn't have a lot to go off of. Um, that's why they decided to give Kevin Love the kind of extension that they did because that was a quality piece that they had post-LeBron that they wanted to protect. But other than that, they didn't have the draft pick capital, right? They didn't have the trade assets. They didn't have the cap space. They didn't have the young ascending players that you need in a rebuild. And this regime has been doing its best to acquire draft capital um, and to try and build this thing through trades. That's their route to improvement is draft and trade. It's not going to be a market for free agents. Um, they didn't have a bunch of draft capital to begin with. They didn't have a bunch of trade assets. Now they're getting to that point. And this is year three. So I think they want to see tangible improvement now on the court. And I think it's fair to start expecting that if you're a fan. You know, the, obviously the last couple of years, they've been able to draft pretty high in the, in the process. What is, what is your take or what do you think is the general assessment of the progress that um, some of the young guys that they've, Put, put on the court the last couple of years are, are making, you mentioned Porter, but obviously um, Sexton and Garland are a couple other guys that are going to be really crucial to what the Cavs are trying to build. What, what's your evaluation or, or assessment of the progress that those guys have made so far? I'm glad you brought this up guys, because um, part of why that there might be some frustration um, with the pace at which this rebuild has gone, I think it's tied to the fact that they haven't had the lottery luck that um, the Cavs had the first time LeBron left, mm. right? The first time LeBron leaves, they got the first overall pick. They got Kyrie Irving. They got the fourth overall pick. They got Tristan Thompson. They had more lottery luck in 2013. That didn't work out because they drafted Anthony Bennett, but they got lottery luck in 2014. So three of four years post LeBron, the first time he left, they got the first overall pick. Yeah, like, That is rare, obviously. And they haven't had that level of lottery luck this time. Uh, you know, they, they traded for the Brooklyn pick as the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving deal, thinking that it was going to be a top five pick. And it was eight. And it led to Colin Sexton. 
and they missed out on Trey Young and Luka Doncic because of lottery luck. And then they felt like, hey, we've got a really good chance um, in, in 2019 to again be in the range of Zion Williamson or John Morant. Instead, they fall fifth, and it's Darius Garland. So um, that's part of the frustration, I think, in terms of the pace of this sort of thing, both inside the organization and outside the organization. But in terms of the young guys, like if, if I were to rank it today based on how the Cavs view these guys, I think the one that they feel has a chance to be the foundation piece. He's not there yet. He's got a ways to go. Um, he's got to grow up. He's got to mature. His game has to develop more. But the one they feel the best about is Kevin Porter Jr. Mm. And then after that, I would say Colin Sexton. And then after that, Darius Garland, Dylan Windler. Uh, those guys kind of neck and neck with each other. Darius had a bad season. A lot of circumstances went into that. Dylan didn't play a game because he had a stress fracture in his leg that required season-ending surgery. You talked earlier about how um, the decision on who they're going to draft, what effect the, the players that they already have in place will have on that. One last thing before I go back to Daniel is, Andre Drummond only played, I think, eight games, played in eight games after the trade because obviously the season was stopped. Did you did you guys feel like you learned anything about him or during that short amount of time as far as like how he fits into the future and, and just being able to see him up close, at least for a very brief amount of time? No, I don't think so. I think it's so hard to go off of that because what opponent you play matters that also coincided with making a coaching change from John Beeline to JB Bickerstaff. And they were in the honeymoon phase of that as well. Um, So look, I think that's part of what makes this off season tough for the Cavs in terms of evaluation at the time that they traded for Andre, they were thinking, Hey, we're going to get two months of a trial. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see what it looks like for Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter Jr. Our young guys with that kind of piece. We don't have that kind of piece. We don't have that athletic rim runner that could potentially be a rim protector. We don't have that size inside. We don't have an avenue to play that kind of style that you would have to play with somebody like Andre Drummond. And instead, they only got eight eight games of data. And it's not a lot. So I think it complicates any kind of decision the Cavs would want to make or any kind of clarity, I would say, that the Cavs wanted to have in terms of this offseason with maybe a potential Andre Drummond extension or feeling really, really confident about taking, let's say, James Wiseman, if he were to fall at number five, or Onyeka Kongwu, if he were to be there at number five. The Cavs just don't have clarity on how they play with that style of player. And that style of player doesn't work for everybody, and it doesn't work for any kind of personnel. It has to be a specific set of players that you have on the roster. Good stuff there. That's Chris Fedor covers the Cavs at the NBA for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. You can follow him on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-F-E-D-O-R. Chris, I really appreciate the insight. This was good stuff learning about the Cavs and what they could do at number five. And uh, good luck in a couple of weeks. We'll talk to you then. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Good stuff from Chris there. And we continue here with our NBA draft preview. We go to pick number six in the Atlanta Hawks. Joining us now is Mike Conti of the Atlanta Hawks radio network and a host on 92.9 The Game there in Atlanta. Mike, I appreciate the time. How are you? Uh, it's my pleasure, Daniel. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you again. The draft is about a couple of weeks away here. Hard, hard to realize, but I want to start with just kind of the look of your roster right now. Hawks are a very intriguing team just based on the young talent that they have built with Trey Young, John Collins, 
the trade with Clint Capella last year, Kevin Herter. We can go down the line. So how does the Hawks stack up right now without a draft, without free agency, heading into the season with all that young talent? Well, without a draft and without free agency, uh, you, you don't really know what the upward trajectory is going to be. And I, I think Travis Schlenk, the general manager, is optimistic that he's going to be able to do something in free agency. And part of that might be trading a draft pick, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. You know, Trey Young took a big jump from year one to year two. I don't necessarily think he got the postseason awards respect that he should have. You're talking about someone who was uh, well up into the top five in scoring and assists per game. Yes, he was playing on a not very good team. Uh, yes, the Hawks lost a lot of games, but you can't argue with that production. He was an all-star starter, so he did get that level of respect. You know, the Hawks season was kind of derailed right from the start last year because John Collins had to serve the 25-game suspension. That really, really disrupted you know, any kind of cohesion and chemistry that Trey could build with John and Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter uh, and Cam Reddish, the quote-unquote core four uh, that the Hawks really want to build around going forward. That was very disruptive. It was a big setback for John, who I thought was on the verge of becoming – you know, he was a 20 and 10 player in 2018, 19. I, I thought he was on the verge of becoming not just a consistent 20 and 10 player, but really kind of nudging up now into that all-star mix potentially. Uh, you know, Herter was injured too. And that kind of slowed him down a little bit. He had become a very reliable wing shooter, a three pointer at the end of his rookie season in 2018, 19. Uh, and even Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish kind of had to deal with injuries and load management and things like that, that, kind of stunted their rookie season. And then on top of everything, Daniel, the Hawks didn't get invited into the bubble. So you know, Lloyd Pierce and Travis Schlenk, uh, Pierce, the head coach, and Schlenk, the general manager, have talked at, at great length about how you have to make the best of the hand you're dealt, but not being included in the bubble really, really affected any opportunity for this young group to work together and get better. And you can really only get better by playing games, right? So the Hawks are in an interesting position going forward. Clint Capella never played for the Hawks after the trade was made. He was hurt. They didn't want to rush him back. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that looks now with Clint Capella. We have not seen it. We haven't even seen it in the form of a practice. Um, but the Hawks certainly feel a lot better about where they are in the post now than say early February before they made that deal for Clint Capella, they completely changed out their group of bigs through trades. I mean, you, you started the season with Alex Len and then Dwayne Dedman came in at the trade deadline. You had Capella come in at the trade deadline. They're optimistic about Bruno Fernando, but that is, I think the position group that we might know the least about with the Hawks. Hey, I'm going to kind of combine my two questions here because you brought up potentially a trade there at, at, at pick number six. And with all that young talent, is this a time and is this a draft for maybe Travis Schlenk and Lloyd Pierce to go out and find maybe that veteran piece that you may have? Or is this a time where you want to continue with that young core and maybe draft someone at pick number six? Now they want to make a trade. And if they can, if they can get the right deal, I think they're going to do it. I think the Hawks look at it as such. We've had all these young assets come into us through the draft. We don't really have time to get any younger now. And the sixth overall pick should carry value. This is not the same draft as we had last year, but the sixth overall pick is the sixth overall pick. 
Travis Schlank's done a really good job of giving the Hawks a lot of flexibility under the salary cap to go out and be able to either do something in free agency or trade for a veteran. I think the problem is when you look at the list of available free agents and the ones that could be attainable for the Hawks, well, how many are really on that list that can make a substantial impact? So the Hawks need some veteran leadership. Vince Carter provided a ton of leadership, even though he didn't play a lot last year for the Hawks. Well, now he's gone. He's retired. Uh, There were reports the Hawks were trying to keep him in the organization. He's going to go work for ESPN as well. So I think there's going to be a real effort by Travis Schlenk, the general manager, to go out and find a veteran who can not only be productive on the floor, but can provide that much-needed leadership as well. And I think the reported hiring of Nate McMillan as an assistant coach is going to be a big part of that too. Boyd Pierce currently, because the hire hasn't been confirmed yet, uh, currently has no former NBA head coaches on his bench. Bringing in Nate McMillan is going to help you from a leadership standpoint there. So I think the, the Hawks are looking at this draft and saying, look, we like where we are with the guys we've drafted. Let's not get any younger. And if someone can make them the right offer leading up to the draft, Daniel, I think they're going to do it. Before I get to Jim here, I got one more or question. Let's say they do keep it. Is there a position in need that the Hawks may go after in this draft? Or are you looking at, we've heard a lot of people one through five. It, it seems more best available at this point. Is that maybe the case for the Hawks? Or is there a position in need that you think they could go for if they cannot trade that pick? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Uh, and they would probably go best available for this reason. At six overall, you're not feeling great about drafting a guy who's going to be a backup, right? You don't want to draft a depth piece in the lottery, especially in the top six. The Hawks right now feel like they've got their starting point guard of the future, obviously, in Trey Young. The Hawks have a bunch of wing players that they feel very good about, and I think they believe that Cam Reddish still can make a major jump from year one to year two, and you started really seeing him trend in the right direction before the pandemic stopped everything. Uh, You also have Kevin Herter in that mix. You have DeAndre Hunter, who you traded up to get uh, fourth overall last year. Uh, You feel really good about him at the three. You feel really good about John Collins at the four. You feel really good about Clint Capella at the five. So who are you looking to draft sixth overall who could potentially penetrate that starting group? I don't know if there's a guy, honestly. Um, You know, there's been some speculation down here that if Wiseman were to fall all the way down, that would be a very nice piece to add to that, that group with Clint Capella and Dwayne Dedman and Bruno Fernando as well. But honestly, Daniel, I think they'll be looking at best available. Uh, And if someone falls to them that makes sense for them, they'll take him, and then they'll try to figure out how to fit him in. And what's going to be tricky about that is you're only really going to have a month to figure that out, and maybe only two weeks before a training camp starts to figure that out. That's, again, why I think the Hawks would prefer to trade this pick as opposed to use it. Uh, But if you're asking me for a single name to throw out there, I would think if Wiseman is there, uh, they would be they'd be very very happy with that uh, to have them work with Clint Capella to have them work with Wayne Dedman going forward. Mike, you did a good job of kind of going over what happened last season. We talked to uh, Casey Johnson who covers the Bulls, and it seems like it was kind of similar with them where people the Hawks and the Bulls were kind of a trend. They were both kind of trendy picks to make the playoffs going into last season. But I mean you. You discussed how suspension with John Collins and injuries definitely had a huge 
factor in why that didn't happen as far as why the Hawks didn't stay in, in playoff contention. But um, as far as what they showed on the court, I guess, can, can you kind of describe what John Collins after he missed the, it was, I think it was 25 games. Right. Right. And um, Kevin Herter, who I have to claim as a fellow upstate New York native, <laughs> um, those two guys, what did you see from them when they actually were at one thing I noticed too, when I was doing research about you guys, the Hawks were one in 10 when in the 11 game stretch that Herter missed. So even yes. though he might not be a guy that people immediately think about with Atlanta, it seems like he's pretty crucial to what they're trying to do. He is Jim. You're a hundred percent right. That's a great call. One of the reasons why the Hawks were one in 10 in that stretch is it also coincided with a West coast trip. So the schedule certainly didn't help them uh, when that happened. And you also had Collins out during that stretch as well. That was kind of the nightmare about the way the season started for the Hawks. You know, when they had their full group together, um, you, they ripped Detroit on opening night. Trey had a big game. You come back to Atlanta, you win a thriller against Orlando. Then you play a really competitive game against Philadelphia. And, and suddenly now you're two and one. You should be three and oh, you go into Halloween night against Miami. That's a competitive game as well. And Miami, of course, goes on to make the finals. And you're thinking, all right. You know, you're two and two. You've gone toe to toe with two of the better teams in your conference. This might be a 500 ball club this year, which would be, I think, ahead of what what everyone thought. And then Collins gets suspended. Herter gets hurt. And suddenly now it's Trey and some very inexperienced at that time players, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, trying to figure it out. You haven't found your center yet. You're playing with Alex Len. So a lot of bad things and bad luck all happen at once. When the Hawks played with Trey Collins and Herter together, their win percentage was around 370-380. Now it doesn't sound great, but that's bubble. Okay. I mean, that's, that's practically where, where new Orleans was. I mean, that's going to be enough to get you in the bubble and then you're in the bubble and who knows what happens from there. So I think the Hawks are optimistic uh, Jim, that if Herter can stay healthy and Herter claimed when the Hawks had this little mini camp a couple weeks ago that the, the league and the players union allowed them to have, Herter said he was still dealing with some stuff with his knee, but he felt better. He didn't feel like it'd be a lingering concern. If it's not a lingering concern, that's really good news for the Hawks because Herter at the end of his rookie year, as I said, had become a very, very reliable three-point shooter. And now you, you look at a potential group, Trey Young, I mean, his range is from half court. Herter has become or has shown he can become a reliable knockdown three-point shooter. Cam Reddish might become that kind of player. John Collins has worked very hard to be able to stretch the floor. We know how Clint Capella can get out to the perimeter as well. Uh, I think Lloyd Pierce would be really, really happy if he had that group healthy for a long period of time this coming season. You know, before I go back to Daniel, I think we, we find we found in New Orleans as well that when your team gets off to a poor start, the Pelicans were seven and 23 um, through 30 games, people kind of across the league and nationally kind of tune out from what the, what they see from your team. They don't pay, pay as much attention for people who maybe didn't follow the Hawks super closely over the last 30 plus games or so. What did you see from the development of DeAndre Hunter, Hunter and Cam Reddish as far as seemed like both of those guys from afar played better over the last couple months than maybe they did at the start of the season. Yeah, they did. And much more cam than Hunter. I thought, um, reddish got off to a really slow start and 
you know, Lloyd Pierce, the one thing you have to say about him, I, I think the reason why he was hired here in Atlanta is because of his track record and player development, particularly at Golden State, particularly at Philadelphia. Something Steph Curry talked about a lot when Lloyd Pierce was hired, that Lloyd really helped him grow and develop as a player. Um, so Lloyd Pierce kind of took a keen interest in Cam Reddish and did a lot of one-on-one one work. I'm not talking about playing one-on-one. I'm just saying, you know, coach on individual one-on-one work. And I think you really saw the fruits of that as the season went along, uh, especially defensively. I, I thought that was maybe one of the bigger surprises. It, Cam had a, a defensive aspect of his game that I was not expecting to see. Uh, and suddenly, you know, I think he had a stretch kind of later in the year, um, especially after New Year's where, you know, he was up over a steal per game. Encouraging number. Uh, you know, Hunter is a guy that I, I think there's been a misunderstanding among Hawks fans on on why he was drafted where he was. Uh, he does a lot of things that aren't necessarily very flashy. And I think he was drafted because Travis Schlenk thought he was extremely pro-ready, especially defensively. And what we learned was that, yeah, DeAndre is pretty good defensively, but he could get better. And I think that's something that he worked on prior to the stoppage. But I think the sad thing to me, Jim, is that because of what we talked about with Collins being out, Herter being out, and even Trey being out, you know, Trey, I think I'd have to look it up. I want to say he missed five or six games. Um, that hurts. You know, when you can't play with the full group together, there's only so much you can replicate in practices and shootarounds that that really you need to work on in game situations. So I think the the biggest key for Hunter and for Reddish, Jim, is to just stay healthy and hope their teammates stay healthy. And you hope that whatever form of preseason we're about to get in this league, and it sounds like it might only be three weeks, that they can make the most of it because the games are going to come fast and frequently <laughs> once the schedule starts, whenever it does. Yeah, I have a feeling health is going to be the name of the game in the first month or so with every team in the NBA, no matter what your status is and, and how this could all change here in the blink of an eye. So we'll see how it all plays out, not only on November 18th, but also for agency after as uh, we potentially get ready for a season in December. Mike Conti, Atlanta Hawks Radio Network, with some great insight on what the Hawks may do. Uh, Mike, enjoy this wild ride with us. It should be very interesting, and we'll talk to you down the line. I hope we can see each other in person very soon. I Me too. That. Absolutely. All right, Mike, appreciate it. Yeah. All right, so two very good guests today with Chris Fedor and Mike Conti covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks. And Jim, Mike brought up a great point again at the very end of his, uh, his segment with us about the quick turnaround with these rookies. Again, reports are that the season most likely could be December 22nd. Again, we're not speculating. We're just going on based on reports. We have no hard evidence of that right now. But if that's the case, it's going to be very interesting to see the transition for some of these one of these rookies that haven't played, they didn't get to play March Madness, so they haven't played since February. They will not have Summer League this year. And the transition is you're going to get thrown right into the training camp and then right into games. So it's going to be very – I'm curious to see how that plays out for a lot of these young rookies. Yeah, and I've heard, you know, on various podcasts and various shows over the last week or so, people speculate that it's going to make it very difficult for rookies to contribute right away and that it could affect, you know, how much impact they make even some of the guys that are picked near the top of the draft. But 
From, and I, I agree with that. I think that's definitely a valid point. The one thing I would say, though, is I think it's going to put a premium on the guys that have high basketball IQ and guys that pick up things quickly. I mean, as we know, there's it's it's not easy to jump into the NBA. There's a million reasons for that. Obviously, the competition level is probably number one on that list of why it's difficult. But for it's still at the end of the day, it's still basketball. So I think if you're a player who can can learn a, an offensive system quickly, can learn a playbook and knows how to make players better and can blend in with other guys. You know, it's not the same thing as jumping into a random pickup game on a blacktop somewhere. But I mean, there are elements to that where it's like you're not going to get to know your teammates very well as a rookie or have a lot of time to figure things out. So I think for the players who really um, are smart basketball players and really understand the game, I think they're going to be at a pretty big advantage compared to maybe some of the other guys that are at the very beginning of the learning curve. Maybe even some of the guys that we've seen who didn't seriously pick up basketball until they were maybe 15 or 16 guys like that, that are still kind of learning the game. So it's an interesting element, but I would say that, uh, you know, you can't use that completely as an excuse. It's, it's still, as I said, at the end of the day, it's, it's still basketball and it's still something that you've been doing your pretty much your entire life for most of these guys. And at the same time, everyone's going to be in the same boat. So there's no circumstances where you're going to be the only guy having to go through this. Every single rookie is going to have to go through this with different teams. And, and so it should be uh, it should be real uh, intriguing to see how this all plays out. And look, again, we're taping this on Thursday morning here. Things could come out on Thursday night. Things could come out Friday morning. So we're not necessarily sure how this plays out. But, of course, once it does, uh, we'll have some podcasts for you talking about the upcoming 2020 21 season we're going to take a little break from basketball tomorrow a special breeders cup edition of the pelicans podcast presented by seeky todd graffinini sits down with alstall jr trainer for tom's day Todd, who will be running in the breeders cup uh this weekend it'll be a big weekend uh for gmb racing big weekend for the saints as they will take on the bucks and it could be a big weekend for the pelicans um to see if the nba schedule is announced and what dates could be played and how this all goes out we will continue with our draft preview next week Pick number seven and eight will stay in the Eastern Conference. The Detroit Pistons at pick number seven. The New York Knicks at pick number eight. I know everyone has their eyes on the Knicks um, with a brand new coach and a brand new regime there with Tom Thibodeau. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out for them. We appreciate you listening today. A big thanks to Jim Eichenhofer, as always, for joining me on our shows. Um, we'll talk to you. Uh, Todd, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk to you next week. And right here on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by Seeking.